Well, I want to thank uh, CCSC for the opportunity to be here and to share the Word of God. I'm very thankful for the friendship that I have with all the pastors here and also with Pastor Harold. He is a mentor to me. Uh, we're going to read from James chapter 5. I know that you are in a series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to deviate from that, obviously, today as we look at James chapter 5, uh, verses 7 to 12. And just as you are turning there, by way of background, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And the book of James was written to, written to really identify whether you have authentic faith or not. A lot of people will say, you know, I'm a Christian. They profess Christ. But there's a lack of evidence of genuine faith in their life. Uh, just because you go into the garage doesn't make you a car, right? In the same way, just because you are tuning in for worship today or when it's time when, when, you, when things when open up and you come to church, just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, James is asking, well, show me your faith. Show me that you, your faith is genuine by the way you are living, by your works, by the fruit in your life. See, I think the global pandemic has really exposed a lot of people, a lot of people in the church. And, and I think it's really important for us to say, what does a genuine faith look like? And so James is written to help us to see what a genuine Christian looks like. So for example, a genuine Christian understands and responds appropriately to trials, temptations, and hardships. A genuine Christian is someone who not only hears the word of God, but who is a doer of the word of God. A genuine Christian is able to control the tongue, and so on and so forth. And so today we're looking at James 5, and one of the ways in which we show genuine faith is by growing in patience. Impatience. Let me read the word of God for us uh, today. James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. And this is God's word for you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is God's word. Well, let me go right into our message. You know that when someone gives their life to Christ, they begin to grow and they begin to change. They begin to bear fruit in their life, or at least that should happen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in, is a term the Bible uses for a set of character traits. And so the most famous list is found in the book of Galatians chapter 5. You've got love, joy, peace, and then you get our word patience. Patience is a character trait that is very important for us because it's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if you think about this, the reason why this is relevant is because we live 
in a culture that does not value patience. It's almost a culture of impatience. If you have a computer that powers up and does all the things that it does in five seconds, but then later on a computer comes along that can power up in two seconds and does everything else that the first computer does, then the first computer company is gonna go out of business. Or if a company can send you a product in three days, but another company comes along and say, I can send you that product in one day, the first company is in trouble. So you see, it's almost like, in a sense, even the economy cultivates and discourages uh, being patient. It encourages you to be impatient. I mean, most people, if you're like me, you don't like waiting. I don't like waiting at all. I have a friend that I know that will run up the escalators, which is funny because, you know, it sort of defeats the purpose, right? Because the whole idea is the escalator does, does the work for you. You see, I have been impatient uh, in my marriage. I've been impatient with my kids. I've been impatient with my church. Even with this global pandemic, you know, I, I, maybe you're impatient with, with everything that's closed and you're just wa- wondering when is everything going to open up again? You know, when am I going to get my vaccine shots if you haven't gotten it yet? And see, all of us are impatient in one way or another, more than you realize. I've been impatient in so many ways, and so have you. And, and, and this is so relevant because we need to learn to be patient, especially in such a time like this. We live in a culture that doesn't value patience. And this is really important for me because uh, I realized as I wanted to grow in my life with Christ, one of the things that the Lord convicted me is that I'm not patient. And maybe this is something that can help you as well. Well, the passage today tells us how we can get patience. The first thing I want you to consider is the definition of patience. In other words, what is patience according to the Bible? The passage today is basically divided into two parts. And the first thing that the Bible is talking about here is uh, patience with difficult people. Being patient with difficult people. Verses 7, 8, and 9, it uses the illustration of a farmer. Farmers show patience because they plant and they don't expect harvest right away. They plant and then they learn to wait. You see, it's an example of patience. The Greek word that's used there in verses 7, 8, and 9 particularly, it means long-suffering. It's a great word. So when you're dealing with difficult people, the Bible is encouraging you to be patient. And the word there is to be long on suffering. You are full of long suffering for that person. See, an example of the opposite of long suffering or the lack of patience is mentioned in verse nine. You see, do not grumble against one another. See, grumbling is a lack of patience. And so we are encouraged to not grumble uh, when people are uh, infuriating us, people are disappointing us. You know, and when people are um, disappointing us, when we are dealing with hard people, we tend to grumble, you know, uh, in our hearts, in our minds. We say things, we gossip. See, grumbling is responding to people who disappoint and frustrate you with resentment, negativity, and cynicism. See, why is grumbling a lack of patience? Maybe one reason is, gr- is because grumbling means that You've given up on people. 
instead of continuing to love that person and care for that person, even when they frustrate you, even when they disappoint you, you give up on them. It means because of the way in which a person has frustrated you or disappointed you, you give up on them. You stop caring. You stop caring. You're not long-suffering or sticking with them. In other words, you are grumpy about them. In other words, it's a lack of love. And so that's why impatience is wrong because it's particularly as believers of Christ, we are called to not grumble, not to give up on people, but to pursue them and to love them. Not just the beautiful people, the ones that are easy to love, but even the ones that are hard to love, difficult to love, the unlovable, to love them. We're called to be patient. But there's more about impatience. The second paragraph shows us another aspect of the word patience. So it's not just patience with difficult people, but it gives us a calling to be patient with difficult circumstances. You see, look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You see, it's a different example, don't you see? And then he says in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here, Job is the example, not the farmer. Job is a Bible character in the Old Testament whose problems were not so much about how he was being treated by God. He, it wasn't so much he did have hard friends, if you will, but it wasn't that. His problem was how he was being treated by life and by God. Job didn't experience difficult people as much as terrible circumstances. One disaster after another, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his children, he lost everything. And you see, Job is crying out to God. He's crying out to God. See, Job's patience is the word perseverance, steadfastness. See, to endure. It says again, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Greek word there for patience or steadfastness, it means to hyperstand. The word there means to hyperstand. It means to say you continue, you endure in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenging circumstances. Let me give you an example of that. It would be like if you were in a battle and your commanding officer says to you, hey, you stand right there. You don't ever move yourself from that position. You occupy this position no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter how fierce the battle gets, no matter how many enemies come at you, you cannot retreat. You cannot give ground or even lose a step because if the enemy gets past you, then all is lost. The battle is lost. The the war is lost. The, The town behind you, the people behind you is lost. It's almost like the, the movie um, Saving Private Ryan. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with Tom Hanks. And there's a, a scene towards the end of the movie, the Battle of Rommel, right? And it's a battle where um, the, the, the Allied forces had to protect this bridge against the Germans, right? And so Tom Hanks and his uh, small 
band of brothers <laughs> who are there, and they were greatly outnumbered. And the command was to, no matter how fierce the battle got, they had to stay there. They had to hold that ground. And that's the imagery. You have to stand there. You've got to fight and not give in no matter what. To endure, to continue to stay. And that is what it means to hyper stand. To stand in that place. That's the word that's being used there. So in other words, when circumstances and situations are terribly disappointing and infuriating and life goes wrong, doesn't go the way you want to, patience is to unflinchingly live the way you ought to live, to be the person you ought to be in Christ. Not to compromise, not to give in, You see, I wonder if some of us, uh, if we are just one crisis away from giving up on our faith. And the pandemic, the global pandemic has really exposed us, right? And, And it's really questioned, I wonder, for some of you, do we really believe in the things of God? You see, to be patient, even in difficult circumstances, is to stay put and to do the things that Christ is calling you to do and to be. So the two aspects of patience, according to the book of James, are patience with difficult people, responding to difficult people with forgiveness and grace, and it's patience with difficult circumstances, which is responding with, you know, when circumstances and when situations, when there's a, a, a storm in your life, responding to that storm with courage and trust in God. Now, why does the Bible make this a big deal? Because the Bible, you know, it could say a lot of things is a big deal, right? But why, does, why is this such a big thing? Why, you know, why are we talking about patience? You know, because the Bible depicts impatience as a great sin. You see, you might think, well, you know, this is not a big deal. Okay, I'm not patient. I get it. Uh, sometimes I lose my cool. Sometimes, you know, in difficult uh, situations, yeah, you know, I, I, I give into things or when dealing with difficult people, I stop loving them and I lose my patience with people. And, but why is this such a big deal? The Bible says, again, it's a, a terrible sin. Because notice what it says in verse 9. It says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He brings in judgment day out of all things. He says, we'll be condemned and judged for our impatience. Yes, condemned and judged for our lack of patience. You know, that's why it's so serious because, you know, think about this. Every single day, you know, every single day, you're going to meet frustrating, disappointing disillusioning, infuriating people, and you're going to also experience tough and hard situations and circumstances. It's a fact of life. It's not a question of if, but it's more of a question of when difficult people come into your life or when difficult circumstances come into your life. You may be in one right now. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe you're in a health crisis. Maybe your relationships are tough. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. You might be in a tough situation, a dark valley, or maybe you're dealing with some difficult people. I mean, ministry is 
is it would be so easy if it was all about planning events and activities, but we're in the people business. And if you, you could talk to any pastor, the reason why ministry is so hard is because we're dealing with people and people are sinful. And so are the pastors. You see, we all have difficult circumstances and we all have difficult people, whether they're in our homes, they may be our neighbors, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our small groups, in our classrooms. We're in a situation where we're dealing with one or the other. And when that happens, when you are faced with difficult people or difficult circumstances, you know, how do you respond in your heart? You see, there's only one or two ways to respond when disappointments happen. Either you can trust yourself or you can trust God. You can trust yourself or you can trust God. You can respond to the difficulty either by trusting yourself or trusting in God. I think the first way that you can respond, and this is the way I want you to respond, this is the way the Bible wants us to respond, is by trusting in the Lord. See, bad things happen to you, and here's what you need to say. You need to say, the Lord knows. The Lord is wise and good. I mean, I would have never chosen this for myself, but he has, and he knows what he's doing, and I don't. And you think about Romans 8, 28, all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his goodness and kindness. And I think about God's sovereignty. I think about God's providence, right? He's God, I'm not. He knows what he's doing. See, impatience is a, is a big lack of humility. You need to humble yourself and say, I don't know, but God knows. God is God, and I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. And I think if you can speak that into your heart, you'll be able to experience joy and peace and you'll be able to endure. The other way you can do, uh, respond when bad things or bad people come to you, when you have a hard time with difficult people is you can trust your own wisdom. So instead of trusting God and his wisdom, you can trust what you think should happen and what you think everybody deserves. You can trust your own wisdom and, your, and, and you can trust your own self rather than God. But if you learn to be patient and trust God, it eventually leads to rest, calm, peace, and the ability to forgive. If you give in to self-trust, you become eaten up with resentment, bitterness, cynicism, anxiety, restlessness. Instead, we are called to trust in God. But so the second point for your, your consideration is then, what is, how do we grow in that? What is a development uh, of patience? How do we develop patience in, your, in our lives? How do we grow in patience? You know, I believe the Bible is, there's a, a singular meta-narrative that all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation points us to Christ. And, you know, it's central. Christ is central uh, to the word of God and to all of life. And one of the things that we need to do in developing our patience, number one, is first we meditate on what Jesus has done for us in the past. You meditate on what Jesus has done for us in the past. You see, if you want to see how patience is developed, we have to look to the cross again and again, and we meditate deeply on Jesus and what he's done for us. 
So for example, you look at Job, who was given to us as an example in our text, but you look at the ultimate Job, the one to whom Job points to. And in fact, the Bible shows us that, you know, Jesus is the better everything, the better Adam, the better David, the better, uh, you know, Job, the better everybody, right? Even in my most holiest moments, even in my moment where I feel like, man, I am acting most uh, so godly I, right now, I'm, you know, even in those moments, I fall so short of the glory of God. Jesus is better than everybody, you know? And so Jesus is our example. And, and so Job suffered, but he wasn't fully innocent, right? Only Jesus is the true Job because Jesus and Jesus alone is the only absolutely perfectly innocent sufferer. Only Jesus lived a perfect life, totally innocent. There's a reason why John the Baptist said, look, that's the Lamb of God, the unblemished Lamb of God, the sinless Savior, pure, innocent. Only Jesus loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only Jesus deserved a great life, and yet he was the one that was dying a terrible, horrible death that we deserve. He took our punishment. He became sin for us. He died the horrible death that we deserve. He was misunderstood, poor, rejected, betrayed, and denied. And finally, he was arrested on false charges, tortured, and murdered. But through all of that agony and pain, you think about it, he was perfectly patient. He was the only innocent sufferer. Jesus is the true and better Job who really deserved a great life, but yet he got a terrible life. And during that whole time, he was perfectly, absolutely patient. You might say all the forces of darkness and evil and hell were coming down on him and he'd stood his ground. It's almost like he knew that we were behind him and if the darkness and the evil got past him, we would be lost. So what did he do? He obeyed. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. There's patience. He stood his ground, hyperstanding. He went to the cross and obeyed the father. And on the cross, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not a defiant complaint. It's more of an, uh, just a loss of, uh, an agony of lost love. And the Bible says that you know, he could have called upon legions of angels, but he didn't do it. Why did he do it? Why was he perfectly patient? See, when Jesus went to the cross, he died for our sins and took the punishment we deserve. And let me give it to you more specifically. Jesus, through his perfect patience, he what he did was he atoned for our impatience so that the Father can be endlessly patient with us, never giving up on us, letting us down, or pulling back from us, even when we fail him. Friends, I can't tell you how many times uh, I failed uh, in so many different ways. I am such a sinner, and I have been so impatient in, in so many areas of my life. And even as I read this text and as I study this text, and, and you see, you can't just develop patience by just 
trying harder. You can't just uh, will yourself to be more patient. I've tried that. It only causes you to lose hair. <laughs> like, you look at me. But you see, by looking at Christ and the promises of God's word that says that you know, even when we are impatient, even when we fail, because Christ was perfectly patient for us, God the Father doesn't pull away. He doesn't destroy us. He doesn't give up on us. You talk about long-suffering. You talk about long-suffering. You look at Jesus, talk, talk about holding his ground, even when all the forces of darkness were coming down. You take that and you meditate on it. So when troubles are happening to you, think of this. Jesus was perfectly patient. He did it for me so that I could be patient in situations that are difficult for me. If you see Jesus saving you, if you see him saving you through his infinite patience and undeserved suffering, the true and ultimate Job, and that through his perfect patience, he atoned for your impatience so that God can be infinitely patient with you to the very end, no matter how you live, even when you fall down, he will be patient with you. Talk about endless grace. If you meditate on that, you will grow in being patient not just with people, but also in difficult situations and in terrible circumstances. You look at Jesus trusting God under incredible burden and pressure for you, and that'll make it possible for you to trust Jesus when you are under infinite pressure. And secondly, finally, meditate not just on what Jesus did for us in the past, but you meditate in what Jesus is going to do in the future in the future. Here's how you develop more patience further. When troubles happen, you meditate and you pray. You see, we have spiritual amnesia oftentimes. We forget so easily. So we look at what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You see his perfect patience uh, by dying for us on the cross. And you look ahead into the future. You meditate uh, on what he's going to do in the future. He's coming again. Be patient because the Lord is coming. And that's an encouragement because we know how all things will end. You know, some friends um, think that I'm crazy, but I'm a huge, I'm a big hockey fan. Uh, I was a, a, a hockey fan since I was a little boy uh, when I was growing up in the Washington, D.C. area. And my favorite team is the Washington Capitals, the Washington Capitals. And I know that every time I talk about hockey at my own church, you know, people start rolling their eyes and they start persecuting me. Uh, I hope you don't judge me, but, uh, you know, I love the Capitals. And uh, every year, you know, they were, they, every year the Capitals are good. They, they have a great regular season. But then when they get to the playoffs, they choke and they always seem to lose in the playoffs, kind of like the, the Dodgers maybe, right? Let me move on. But so years they kept uh, choking in the playoffs. But then this one year in 2018, a few years ago, the Capitals uh, started to win in the playoffs as well. And they beat the team in the first round. In the second round, they would always lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And lo and behold, they beat the Penguins. <laughs> and then they started moving on to the third round, and then they beat the best team in hockey that season, and that was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so they made it to the final round, which was against the Vegas Golden Knights. 
and it was the champ- Lord Stanley Cup Finals. But as the series, as the championship round was about to begin, uh, this is no joke, I had to go on a darn mission trip to Japan. I was so angry. I was thinking about ways to um, get out of the mission trip, but I was leading the trip, so I had no, I had no choice. So I went, and, but, uh, you know, I, I was so distracted. And any chance I had a chance, uh, you know, to, when I was connected to the Wi-Fi, I was always looking at the scores. And so the Capitals lost the first game in the series. They were down, you know, a game. And then they won the second game. And then they won the third game. Uh, yeah, and then they won the fourth game. And then they went to the, if they won this last game, fifth game, then the series would be over. And all of this happened while I was in Japan. And so as I was, you know, and I remember as the fifth game was happening, I, we were at a ministry event. And as I was at a ministry event, someone in our team was in the small church, was giving their testimony. And I was so distracted. I, I had to just see if, the, if my beloved Capitals were going to win. And I, I, you know, these, uh, these people came and I grabbed a baby that someone had brought. I said, hey, let me take care of your baby. And I went outside, no joke, only because I wanted to look at what the score was. And when the game, uh, when my phone told me that the game was over and the Capitals won, I was literally tearing up. I was crying. And my team members saw that, and they were like, oh, Pastor Justin was so moved and convicted by the testimony. And I told him, no, my capital's won. And my teammates uh, made fun of me and all of that. But I'm sure you cried as well when uh, the Dodgers won. But you understand. I know I have an idolatry problem here with the Caps. But here's the thing. When I went back home, there's this thing called YouTube TV, and I pre-recorded all the games. And I was able to rewatch every game that I missed. And you know where I'm going with this. It's, it's like even after the first game when the Capitals lost, I, I, was, I was at peace. I was okay. And even during games two and three when, the, when my team was falling behind in the game, I already knew what the ending was going to be. I already knew that the Caps were going to win the whole series. They, that they were going to be the, the champions that my best, uh, my best favorite player, Alex Ovechkin, is going to hold up the Lord Stanley Cup. I knew that that was going to happen. I could withstand the difficulty and the tension in the middle of the games because why? I already had peace regarding the outcome and the ending. Here's my defense. God does it as well. You say, What? God does it as well. Yes, he tells you that in the end that he's going to come back and heal the whole world. Look at verse 7 and 8. Until the coming of the Lord. He says it a few times. Until the coming of the Lord, he's going to resurrect you from the dead and make everything right. And if you trust in him, all the deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled on that day. Every injustice will be put right. And when you consider the past and what Jesus has done, and when you consider the future and what Jesus will do, when there is a difficult person or when there is a difficult situation, you can grow and be patient, knowing how well, uh, how things will end in the end. He tells you the ending of the novel. He tells you the ending of the game so that you can handle the suspense and the tension of the middle part. Yeah, it's difficult. It's tough sometimes. You are in a storm. You are in a battle. You're in a, duff, a, a deep valley. Excuse me. You're in a tough situation. Some of you 
or you're dealing with difficult relationships and people in your life. But you know in the end, justice will be done and you will be fulfilled. And that's the reason why he says, be patient because the Lord is coming. He is coming again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us, Lord God, and remind us, Lord God, of the truth of your word. And that you would remind us, Lord Jesus, that you were incredible patient in living for us and dying for us and resurrecting. As we consider the future, that you will come again, that you would, Lord, help us, Lord God, to grow in peace and joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances and even in dealing with difficult people. Lord, help us, Lord God, to bear fruit. Help us, Lord God, to grow in patience. Also that, Lord, you would be glorified in us and through us. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.